Hello, I'm delighted you can join us on Search for Truth. Thanks for tuning in. Our Bible teacher, Brian Johnston, is with us as usual today with another Bible talk about family relationships and family values. The talk today he's called Taking Responsibility. You know, family relationships are so important, but everyone in the family must play their part for true harmony in the home. The strengths of one parent sometimes can compensate for the shortcomings of the other, and many children have to take up the role of carer for their disabled parents, and many parents become carers for their own parents when they become too old to be independent, as in my case. Christian principles and biblical advice can be very valuable in these and other situations, and here's Brian to share them with us. Thanks, John. There's a story I enjoy about a woman whose name was Bonnie, who was hospitalised just before Christmas time. The hospital room she was in seemed like a Christmas floral shop as she awakened after surgery. Friends and family had been so thoughtful and sent in lots of lovely red poinsettias, yule logs, even a miniature Christmas tree. When the nurse came in and pulled back the pale green privacy curtain, a voice said, Yep! I like your flowers. The voice belonged to her roommate, Ginger, who turned out to be a small, 40-something, curly-haired woman with Down syndrome. She volunteered a little background about the group home where she lived. Doc's going to fix my foot, she announced. And as soon as that happened, she seemed pretty desperate to get back in time for her Christmas party. Ginger also talked quite freely to Bonnie's visitors that evening, keeping her eye especially on Adam, who was a handicapped five-year-old. Yep, I like your Adam, she declared later. The contrast between the two sides of the room couldn't have been more pronounced, for Ginger's bedside was stark and bare, with no cards and no flowers. Bonnie decided she ought to even things up a bit. She'd received so many decorative gifts after all, she could surely spare one or two to give to her roommate. She picked up the red candled centrepiece with holly sprigs, but then hesitated and put it back, thinking about how good it would look on the Christmas dinner table. Next, she picked up the poinsettias, but then suddenly thought about how the deep red plants would brighten up the entrance porch of their house, matching the curtains. So she put that back as well. And so she continued, making excuses. Flowers were beginning to wilt, friends would be offended. In the end, she couldn't part with anything. Instead, she decided that she'd buy something for Ginger from the hospital shop the next day. Before that could happen, the lady with the sweet trolley gave Ginger a small green Christmas wreath with a red bow. Ginger was so thrilled with it when she pointed it out to all Bonnie's visitors that evening. At breakfast the following morning, the nurse told Ginger that the van from the home was already on its way to take her back. At first, Bonnie was so pleased for Ginger that she'd be back in the home in time for the Christmas party she'd really been looking forward to. But then she realised the hospital gift shop wouldn't be open for another couple of hours, so she wouldn't be able to get that present for Ginger. Once more she wondered if she could part with any of her many beautiful gifts, but couldn't come to a decision. As the nurse helped Ginger into her wheelchair, suddenly she said, Wait! and hobbled over to Bonnie's bed and gently laid her solitary wreath on her lap. Merry Christmas, she said, 
You've been so kind. You're a nice lady. Then Ginger gave Bonnie a big hug. Bonnie was lost for words. Her moist eyes fell on the small wreath she was now holding. It had been Ginger's only gift, she thought, and she gave it to me. What a Christmas message that was for Bonnie. So often the problem with Christmas is that with all the presents we receive from family and friends, we can become very self-centred and selfish. How different from the Lord Jesus, who gave all he had. That's the reality, of course, behind the Christmas story after all. Nowhere is it better summed up than in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. That verse says, Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. All this connects with the fourth point from the account of Paul's pastoral care for the Thessalonian church. We've been considering 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting at verse 7. First of all, Paul said that he and his fellow workers had been gentle among them as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. It was that analogy that attracted us to consider Paul's pastoral concern as basically being characteristic of what God intends our family life to be like. Secondly, he spoke of his fond affection for the Thessalonians, that's verse 8. And from that we picked up on the love parents should have, first and foremost for God and then for their family. Thirdly, Paul says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. That thought led us to each parent's need to live lives of transparent integrity, living out in consistent practice all the good things we say and teach. Now we come to the fourth point. Paul goes on to it in verse 9, and he goes on to say, For you recall, brethren, our labour and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Doesn't it remind us of Ginger and her selflessness in giving her Christmas wreath to Bonnie? Paul and the other evangelists had shown selfless diligence in that they'd also worked to support themselves financially while sharing the Christian message with the Thessalonians. Again, how typical of parents. Paul's words to Timothy in his first letter, chapter 5 and verse 8, come to mind. He says, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's certainly an area of responsibility that Christian parents are commanded to take seriously, to the point of planning their families to suit their income. As if to reinforce it, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 14, For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Of course, that provision must first of all be in terms of love, time and attention. It's extremely sad when material gifts are given by way of compensation for a parent's recurring absences. On the other hand, many stories could be told of the self-sacrificing of parents in order to provide a treat or even an essential for a child. The virtuous woman of Proverbs chapter 31 gives us a biblical example of the selfless and self-sacrificing behaviour of putting the good of others in the family first, even in introducing her in verse 10 by saying her worth is far above jewels, we get a hint that there's something much more important in family life than money and materialism. By the way, 
Talking of her worth, do we aim to build up the self-esteem of those in the family around us? Some Christians say they have a difficulty with terms like self-esteem or self-image, and they can so easily be tainted with selfish pride. But basically all I mean by building self-esteem is, do we pass on encouragement and appropriate compliments in order to help each family member feel valued and worthwhile, as this woman did in Proverbs chapter 31? Listen, her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you exceed them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. We pass over verse 11, which says, The heart of her husband trusts in her. That was a previous point about lives of transparent integrity. This woman was a help and confidant to her husband, who held a responsible position. And so we come to verse 15, which tells us she rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household. Talk about selfless diligence. She knew all about it. Wasn't this just the way Paul had mothered the young Thessalonian believers? She's got a real cottage industry going here in Proverbs 31. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand grasps the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes linen garments and sells them, and supplies belts to the tradesmen. She looks well to the ways of her household, and does not eat the bread of idleness. I can believe that. There was no room for idleness in her life. But the picture I get is not one of rushing competitiveness between different compartments of her life, and all with stress and conflicts of interest between home and career, say. Rather, the picture of a wife and mother fulfilled in the use of her skills and talents, yet whose family comes first, a real worker at home, as Paul described Christian women to Titus in chapter 2 and verse 5. Here was someone committed to her family's well-being and taking domestic responsibilities seriously, while at the same time trading profitably in a successful business enterprise. We see this especially in her skillful provision of food and clothing for her family. She's got the balance right, without sacrificing anything of her dignity as a person, as a woman. But it's not the thought of success I want to leave with you from this picture, rather the idea of a gracious mother. Overall, the chapter describes her with strong arms, open hands, reaching out, clothed with dignity, speaking kindness, fearing the Lord, praised by her works and acclaimed by her family. Yes, she was someone for whom family mattered. God sent his son, they called him Because he lives, I can live.
Thanks, Brian. I hope you enjoyed the uh, talk and the hymn today. And as usual, I'll remind you there's a free book which accompanies this series. It's a digital ebook, uh, or you can have a hard copy if you specify. Uh, but it can be yours if you write in by post or email. And we'd also be pleased to hear any comments or questions you might have after listening today. If you want a copy of the book, just ask for Vital Home Truths. And as I say, you can do it by post or by email. And here's our postal address first. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. And our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, you can also look out for Search for Truth, featuring on www.twr360.org. And this will give you, if you tune in, yet another excellent way of accessing again what you first heard here on air. Well, it's been a great joy and pleasure to enjoy your company today, and thanks once again for tuning in. I look forward to your company again next week if you're able to join me, but until then, it's cheerio and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our studio producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you soon, and in the meantime, may God richly bless you. Just because he